It's time for another episode of the Golf Club, sponsored by Tito's Handmade Vodka, and it's our pleasure to welcome in the great Dan Hicks. Dan, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Dan. And before we get to golf, which uh, I've got a lot of questions about, I just want to throw a little bouquet your way because you guys, you and Rowdy Gaines, were so amazing uh, doing swimming again this year at the Olympics. And uh, it looked like you guys were having an amazing time as it came through over the year. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks a lot. The Olympics are, gosh, man, I've done 12 of them now if you add up the summer and the winter games. But there's no doubt about it that the that the swimming is a highlight in the summer games with Rowdy. And you, you can't ask for a better partner. I mean, his passion comes across <laughs> over on the air, I know. And I just kind of ride his wave. And uh, it's been a great partnership. We had some good stories in Tokyo. We had, hey, anytime the Americans do well and kind of, uh, you know, go above and beyond what they're supposed to do, which they did, I think. It, it's always better. And so, you know, we're live. We were live in Tokyo. And even without the spectators, I was yeah, I was really wondering, you know, how it was gonna, all going to be like. But uh, it, it turned out to be great, and uh, I appreciate that. It was. Uh, it's always a lot of fun working Rowdy, no doubt about it. Dan, what, what kind of prep do you do for that? Because, I mean, the stories you have to learn about each individual swimmer and just about everything going on, uh, the way you guys presented was terrific, and it really made you want to root for some of these swimmers. So uh, how how much in advance are, are you learning about all these swimmers and just about all the different things going on? Well, first of all, that makes me feel good to hear you say that because that's exactly what we try to do. If you don't care about the people you're watching, you're watching or you don't know anything about them, you're not going to have a rooting interest. So first and foremost, my job, whether it's swimming or golf or whatever, is to create that rooting interest, and it's more of a challenge with the Olympics because you don't know these athletes, these swimmers in this case, nearly as well because they're just kind of out of sight, out of mind for four years, and then people you know, show up out of the woodwork as well around the world um, every, every four years. So it's, uh, it's intense. It, it, it gets, you know, I start getting research uh, on a regular basis a year from each games. The intensity really kind of climaxes there right before the games. Rowdy and I had a chance to go to um, Hawaii and spend some time with the uh, U.S. Olympic swim team at their pre-Olympic camp in Hawaii where we, you know, ate meals with them. We watched all their workouts. We spent time with them, talked with them. So that was kind of the last, you know, stone, so to speak. So it was, uh, yeah, it's, it's intense, but that's what makes it so great. And you really try to give these athletes their due. Because uh, you don't know a lot about them, but you're you're trying to introduce them to America and the world, and and hopefully we do that. You know, because uh, when I was watching, I mean, before Dan, like back in the day when Michael Phelps was Michael Jordan, um, I would yeah. I would literally I'd be my wife and I would plan whatever we were doing that night around his swims, and I was thinking to myself, this is the first Olympics without him, and really, I mean, last Olympics he was good, but he wasn't he wasn't as great as he was the other ones, but. I'm like, how am I going to, you know, look at the swimming? But it was the same thing. It was appointment watching every night for us. And you made me want to root for Caleb Dressel. I didn't know a ton about him going in, but I learned a lot about him and the other, all the other great swimmers as well. So, I mean, that, that, that's why uh, I love swimming is because the, all the stories behind it. Yeah, it's great. And the swimmers, I'll tell you, are, they're really interesting. It, I, I've done, I had a chance to do a lot of sports uh, throughout my career, and the swimmers are 
on top of the list as far as diverse, interesting. They're all so different. There's no robots in swimming. They're all, you know, they all are different. And when you have a guy like Michael Phelps to kind of ride the wave on, you know, you know, Rowdy and I did his first Olympics in 2000 until his last one in Rio in 16. And when you have a, when you have a guy like that, who, as you said, is kind of the Michael Jordan of the sport, you get, you get a lot of other people tuning in that normally wouldn't like you and your wife who, you know, appointment television, then you kind of get sucked in. You're like, all right, well, what's the swimming going to be like this time around? And then you, so you give it a chance and hopefully Rowdy and I deliver the stories and then the swimmers deliver the performances and it turns into uh, pretty good stuff each and every time. So that's our goal to keep it rolling. And, and Rowdy's the greatest ambassador the sport has ever seen. I, I, I put him and Michael Phelps in the same, uh, you know, same sentence as far as the two guys that have probably influenced their sport more than any other. And it's genuine with Rowdy. Like everyone's like, there's no one, there's no way someone can be that excited <laughs> about that swim, but he really is, right? Yeah, did you check out the Rowdy cam this time? Oh, around? yeah, it was little, fantastic. Uh, we fantastic. had a little lipstick camera that uh, kind of came up over the uh, over the monitors as we looked over the pool. We had it trained on him, and it, it, was, it was pretty hilarious. I think it gave everybody uh, a look inside what really happened. And, and I think when they saw that, they if they had any kind of notion that it wasn't genuine or wasn't real. They looked at that and the body language on Rowdy, and, the, and you can't help but think to yourself, wow, this guy's having some fun. Yeah, that was great. That was great to watch. Uh, so now you make the transition from swimming back to golf, and you have the FedEx playoffs, the final two legs, and then, of course, the Ryder Cup. So how tough is a, a transition is to go from swimming back to golf now? It's not, uh, it's not too bad. It's definitely a different gear, but I've been doing it for a long time, and and you, it doesn't take long at all to get back into the golf swing of things, so to speak. I've been following the sport all year long. Certainly, we took a little hiatus with the Olympics, and but I always follow it. Um, I, I read about it. I love the game. Love to play the game. Uh, and I just think that uh, I think I think golf is set up for really a really good finish here. We've got a lot of good stories. I mean, it seems like we say the same thing every year, but I think even more so this year, we've got uh, some really good stories that are that are developing. So I uh, look forward to doing the last two legs of the FedEx cup playoffs. And then that kind of rolls right into, uh, you know, we're going to have a Ryder cup team here. Uh, at least the captain's picks after the BMW, you get the automatic six and then Stricker's got six uh, captain's picks after that. So uh, looking forward to the Ryder cup after we had to take the year off last year, it is, it is an event that separates itself from all of the golf events. I'm not saying it's the best golf event, but it's probably the most energy action packed golf event there is the Ryder Cup and look forward to doing another one at Whistling Straits at the end of September. You know and, and you brought up Dan there there's a lot of drama in the FedEx Cup playoffs I mean uh uh whoever wins gets such a huge payday but like I remember last year watching and I think it was here in Chicago at Olympia Fields that it was Mackenzie Hughes had like a yep. 6 footer Right, he 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 hit his set. He always yeah. do his part of the last hole, yeah. and he put his shot in the bunker and left himself like a six footer. And like he's sitting over that putt, and you and you and Paul were describing what this means to his career, the biggest putt in his career. And that's pretty cool that the playoffs can could get for a guy who probably isn't going to win it all, but has a chance, just a life changing putt for for Mackenzie Hughes last year, and he made it. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's what it's all about, right? I mean the guy gets a chance to get into the into the uh, tour championship, which is huge. The payoff there, just forget about the money, but just the, the top 30, what it gets you into the following year and what, what it gets you in, you know, down the road in your career. 
is great. And then that was, uh, and then we had Dustin Johnson and uh, John Rahm sink the sink the putts at uh, the last hole there, which were pretty incredible. Rahm's uh, roller coaster ride down there. So I think the FedEx Cup playoffs have really evolved to a point in the year where people kind of know what they're getting. I think the history, just you know, talking about last year, just layer upon layer of it adds to the excitement of it. I think people are kind of know what they're getting. They, they, they expect more out of them. And I think they know the, the format, even though this is just going to be the third year in the new format, I think it's a better way. Is it the best way? I don't know, but I think it's a better way than the last uh, combination that we had. There's less kind of, you know, arithmetic involved and it's out there with a guy starting at 10 under and the next guy at eight under and on and on and on. But I think, uh, I think the playoffs all in all have been a huge success. And I think there were some skeptics at the start of it wondering, are these going to last? Where are they going to go? But they're here to stay, and I think they're a great, great conclusion to the whole PGA Tour season. And uh, bravo to the PGA Tour for not competing against the NFL and and finishing up early because uh, I think they it just no shot. Yeah, I, yeah, I no think shot it just it focuses yeah, yeah it just focuses more yeah. now we and at least in August you know that people are going to be watching the golf because once football starts it just as you know it just dominates. Yep. Yep, you got it. You had that was the first. That was the the big reason to get out of the September window was to wrap this thing up before football gets into gear, and, and it's kind of to own the month of August. You know, um, I think that uh, it was a opening in the sports calendar. The baseball still kind of in the dog days of August, so I think it was a no brainer. And uh, it took a lot. They had to get uh, the PGA Championship out of August. They moved that uh, to earlier in the year. And then every, you know, now the Open Championship is the last major in July, and then it, and then you got an Olympics every four years now in August or July, and then you've got uh, the FedEx Cup Plus. So I think golf. I think the schedule is perfect right now. Uh, we just got to have more layer upon layer of history in the FedEx Cup playoffs to really make it even better. So Dan, if you don't mind, I want to ask you a couple of broadcasting questions. Uh, so CBS has it for a while. Jim Nance. Nick Faldo, then it's you and Paul and, and the whole crews. Um, when you guys are switching off, when you're going back and forth, will you reach out to Jim and say, hey, listen, what have you noticed in your six, seven weeks? You guys had it straight. Anyone particular that I, I should be looking for? Or, or do you guys do, do any of that, any communication between the two of you guys? Not a lot. I, I know Jim. He's a, he's a good friend. Uh, I have a huge amount of respect for, for what he does and the CBS crew does. I, I watch them as much as possible. If I'm not working another sport or another event, um, I make, I'm making sure that I keep tabs on, on what they're doing through the course of not only uh, the weekend, but Thursday, Friday as well, just in my general preparation. So I definitely uh, hear what those guys say. I, I definitely hear how, you know, they approach the storylines and, and think to myself, okay, this guy's kind of announced himself as a good player and they've, they've maybe had a couple personal tidbits on him. You know, what can we do to advance the story? When, when our NBC crew gets it. So, you know, I'll be watching uh, today, hopefully, if they get this right. thing in. Uh, but uh, the final round of the Northern Trust. But I'll, I'll be – I always keep tabs on what they're doing. But uh, I wouldn't say that we call each other on a, on a week-to-week basis. I, see, I do see some of these guys. I see Faldo uh, at an occasional event that he does uh, that, has CB, that has NBC on the weekend right. and Golf Channel during the week as a lead-in. So – I do see Nick every once in a while, and uh, but I, I rarely see Jim, and certainly don't see him really as part of a, a work environment. But uh, uh, we played some rounds of golf together. And he's a fantastic guy. Uh, is he is he a good golfer? 
Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he and I are probably, probably in the same boat. People probably think we're better than we really are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's got the he's got the Houston uh, golfing connections where, of course, he roomed with Blaine McAllister and Fred Couples, and those guys were buddies. I would say Nance played golf, you know, at an earlier age than I did. I played I played other sports, and I kind of came to golf later in life. But uh, uh, he's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, we've always kind of fantasized through the years how cool it would be, let's say, if, if Faldo, uh, Faldo and, and Nance took on Hicks and Azinger, you know, we, we talked about we talked about it when Johnny was uh, was my partner. So who knows? Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't know how much interest the general public would right. have for that, but we'd have a lot of we'd have a lot of fun. Um, and another question for you, as far as a broadcasting one. So it's your broadcast is always so flawless, and I assume that a lot has to do with the producers behind the scenes. So are they, I mean, you have so many different moving parts in a golf broadcast. I don't think people realize how much is involved. Uh, is someone constantly in your ear saying, hey, Dan, we're going to this shot. He's got a birdie putt. Giving you all the details. I mean, how, do you, how does it, you make such a quick transition from one shot to the next? Yeah, there's, there's people have, you're right. They have no idea what's happening behind the scenes and the chaos that's going on and the brilliance of the people that are in the truck. And in my case, I've had the incredible opportunity and blessing to have Tommy Roy in my ear, so to speak, for decades now. I, I've probably, I not only work all my golf events with Tommy, but he, he produced the swimming at the Olympics. And so we have literally been attached to the hip for, for years. And I'm, I'm lucky for that because the guy is, in my opinion, the best live you know, producer in sports broadcast history. I know that that's a big, right. that's a mouthful, but I, I think he's that good. And he's got a guy that's with him in the golf truck named Tom Randolph, who we always, we don't joke, but we always mention, hey, if one of us went down, who could we least afford to lose? It would probably be Tom Randolph because he stands behind Tommy Roy, who's in the chair, and is constantly, uh, Tommy's constantly talking to me and the other announcers. Uh, incessantly on where we're going, especially me with traffic and what's going on right. and how we got to get this in and that, and that. But Tom Randolph is looking at all these monitors, charting all the progress of all the golfers live on the on the monitor wall, and he tells Tommy Roy, "Hey, you know we can get over to Phil Mickelson. He's over on 16. He's getting ready for a birdie putt. This will get him within one." I mean, he's keeping track of all of this stuff and doing it as best he can in a live situation. And I think our guys do it better than anybody else. We have more live golf that is, that is uh, shown out there than anybody else. I mean, I'll, I'll say that with, uh, with a lot of confidence mm-hmm. because those guys are so good at getting around. And then if we have to fill in the blanks and kind of get you caught up on what happened while we were showing live golf, they do that seamlessly. And, uh, you know, that's when Tommy Roy gets in my ear and says, uh, this just happened earlier. And I'll say, Hey, this was earlier. And a lot of people are like, Oh God, I'm tired of hearing Dan Hicks say <laughs> a moment ago, but that's how golf works. There's, there's so much going on right. around the environs of the golf course that it's impossible to cover it all live, but we do our best. Uh, and I've heard you say this before. Um, do you try to get a shot in from every player like a live, either a live shot or like a, a, so everyone is at least seen on TV at, at some point. Yeah, it's been the ma- it's been the mantra of uh, Tommy Roy, our producer. For instance, if you make it into the U.S. Open or you make it into a big event, that you <clears throat> you should have the right to be shown at least once on television. That's you know that's 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 a lot of guys. Oh my gosh, of, yeah. uh, of a couple of days because right. a lot of them are going to be gone obviously right. uh, after two days. So. 
So we actually have somebody in the truck that keeps track of all the people we showed. And Tommy tries to get around, and the crew tries to get around and show as many people. And they'll be like getting out, you know, coming down the stretch on a Friday and go, all right, who haven't we shown? You know, who, how, you know, how can we do this? And so they'll make it a priority to, to make sure that they show everybody at least once. It doesn't happen every time, but it happens a lot. I would say 80, 90% of the time we, we do show every single golfer in the field. Uh, especially at a big event. Uh, before I let you go, Dan, you mentioned before uh, the Ryder Cup, and it's amazing. I mean, I, I can't wait to watch it again this year. It's at Kohler. Um, I, I have I'm, a question for you because, you know, the U.S. has so many great golfers, but it always seems like when they get to the Ryder Cup, they, they just they don't have enough. Um, why is that? Like, why, why is the European team always winning? Man, that is the age-old Ryder Cup question, right? Uh, it, I, you know, I, I think it comes down to, I, I know that, that the U S Ryder cup players are hungry to get on that team. I mean, you ask them, you ask even the, I mean, you, you know, to a man that if, you know, Hey, do you want to play, you know, would you want to win a major or would you want to get on three Ryder cup teams? Some guys might say, I'd like to play on three Ryder cup teams. It's that important to them. But I think it comes down to this. I don't think it's as much a factor as it was in the past, but all the veterans, the players that came before the current crop of players you know, that I've talked to about this very subject matter have said Europe wants to win it more than the U.S. wants to win it. It's more important to them to win it than it is for the U.S. to win it. And I think, that, I think that's true to a degree. Uh, but I also think that the U.S. Has, has become so obsessed with getting back its dominant dominance in this event that I really think they've overthought a lot of it. I really think that the European players end up playing looser. They've kind of got this almost cocky confidence now that they know they're going to play well. I mean, you watch it. Ian Poulter, you know, he'll get on this team and he'll been as good in the last one as he as he has been in the past, but. They just have a way of transforming themselves. And I think it's from a relaxed, excited, kind of carefree atmosphere and attitude than it is for the U.S., which I think gets really amped up and I think kind of overthinks it at times. And I think the, I think the captains and the task force, I think, kind of makes it, you know, a bigger pressurized situation than it really is. And I think camaraderie is really overrated. And I think Europe has had a better camaraderie, um, you know, as far as a huge one collective group than the U.S. has over the years. I mean, some people may argue with me on that, but uh, I think that's as simple as I can I can state it, in my opinion. No, I, I think that's a great way to sum it up. And do, do you think, Dan, I mean, we, it's it's so sad that we haven't heard anything from, from the greatest golfer maybe of all time, Tiger Woods, in months now, and hopefully the recovery is going well. But do you think there's any chance, because him and Steve Stricker are so close, that he's a part of this Ryder Cup team as a team as a vice captain. Yeah, well, you know, obviously Stricker has left it open if Tiger wants to do it. I would highly doubt it at this point. I think uh, I think Tiger's still getting well, and I think it, I think physically he's still. I don't know even know if he'd be ready to get into an environment as wild as the Ryder Cup. Uh, so I really have no idea exactly physically where he's at, but I would I would highly doubt that. Uh, that he'll be a part of it. Uh, I, you know, we do his, we do his event in December, which he's announced that they're having the hero world challenge. So sooner or later, Tiger's going to have to, you know, come out and do an interview and, 
talk a little bit about, you know, what has happened and how he's doing. And I don't know how much he'll talk about the accident. I think that there's a lot that we don't know about it. And I don't know what he'll feel comfortable talking about, what he remembers. I mean, I have no idea, but it'll all be very, very interesting when Tiger finally has to come out and face the public a little bit. Uh, you know, so, but I, but I, it's going to happen by the end of the year because, uh, his tournament, he's got to he's got to be be there for that, and I think that'll be plenty of time for him to to get physically well enough to to be out there in public again. It, it is pretty amazing that like a star as big as Tiger Woods, I mean, the greatest golfer maybe of all time, you haven't heard a word from him. I mean, it's 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 you know it's really he's been silent, yeah. and it's it's you know I assume a lot of golf fans are would love to hear from him. So, but uh, that's a great point. At some point, he's going to have to talk. Um, well, Dan, this has always been a uh, this is a great joy for me to talk to you again on the golf club, and uh, best of luck with your run coming up. And I can't wait uh, to watch this weekend. Then, of course, uh, culminating with the Ryder Cup. Thanks as always for joining us, Dan. Hey, pleasure. Always, always a pleasure to talk to you. Anytime. Take care.